Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast, a production of neonewstoday.com. I'm your host, Dylan Grabowski. In this episode of the Smart Economy Podcast, I sat down and spoke with Aaron Kaplan, the founder and co-CEO of Prometheum. Prometheum is building a regulated marketplace for security tokens, providing for the primary issuance of registered, qualified, or exempt securities, a venue for secondary trading, mechanisms for clearing and settling transactions, and monitoring custody of a customer's security token assets. In this conversation, Aaron and I talk about wanting to build a regulatory compliant exchange way back in 2013, how he felt like a crazy person talking about securities laws during the ETH ICO, where true innovation comes from in the blockchain space, incubating the Prometheum company, how Prometheum is poised to be the first regulatory compliant digital asset custodian in the US, the path forward for the crypto industry in the US, and much more. Just a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any tokens, that nothing should be taken as financial advice, and that the host or guests may hold tokens discussed in any given episode. With that said, I really enjoyed chatting with Aaron, and I hope you enjoy the conversation too. Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast. Today we're joined by Aaron Kaplan, the founder and co-CEO of Prometheum, a digital asset security marketplace and services provider. How are you doing today, Aaron? Hey, John. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have this conversation. We're going to be able to dig into kind of bigger, broader regulatory concerns, and also what it's like to build here in the US with a regulatory compliant focus. But before we dig into the cool things that you're working on at Prometheum, you have a really cool, interesting background in gaming, blockchain, and law. So could you just kind of give us a brief history of what your Genesis story is? So I started off in financial services, then I went to law school and I was a securities attorney. And as an attorney, I focused my practice on the application of distributed ledger technology to the securities industry and really the related regulatory issues. Myself and our firm at the time got into the blockchain space in 2013. And in 2014, we wrote our first no action letter to the SEC, basically requesting that they not take action against us if we trade Bitcoin through an ATS at a brokerage account. At the time, we were bedbugged, but I continued in the space in the consumer side of digital assets with uh, our CTO, Gareth, which was doing a uh, consumer and digital assets, basically a uh, blockchain, I guess you would call consumer-based digital assets that could be used in different games, et cetera, sort of like pre-NFT days. But then when the Dow report came out in July 2017, you know, we basically said that the federal securities laws were implicated by the activities surrounding crypto. And we started the company shortly thereafter with the intention of creating a public market and custodial infrastructure to service the entire life cycle of a digital asset from issue to issuance to trading through clearance, settlement, and custody, all under the securities laws. So you tried to start something similar to Prometheum back in 2013-14 era? Yeah. <laughs> it might have been one of the first times that, 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 that he, anyone wrote a no-action letter to the SEC related to crypto or related to... I guess it was called Bitcoin at the time because it was before even Ethereum came out. So yeah. So what's your genesis then with crypto? It sounds like your early, very early days when you first heard about Bitcoin, did it click for you? Yeah, it made sense. I'm not anywhere close to a Bitcoin maximalist, but at the same time, uh, the idea of using distributed architectures in market infrastructure was very interesting to me, and I thought that at the time I was a little bit too young to really be involved in the transition from paper to electronic trading, actually way too young. But, but essentially, you know, I thought that this was this next major you know, opportunity when it came to market infrastructure and securities and trading. So that's when we uh, focused and started the company. Yeah. And so you were talking about building a marketplace essentially for like in-game items. Are these skins that you were trying to sell or, these, or were they like items from like World of Warcraft? What were you guys kind of thinking? The idea at the time was that you don't actually own the items you have in different games, whether it's, you know, an MMORPG or some other like, you know, massively multiplayer online type gaming universe. And really what you have is just a license to use it. But the idea was if you could actually issue 
assets on chain. You could have them being used at different games that essentially that asset could be held by the individual. And that basically, you know, there could be different uh, unique attributes attendant to that asset that could be used in multiple games and the like. Yeah. So I guess when the NFTs hit the scene and you could see how they could be used in in-game items, a lot of things started clicking for you, maybe? No, this is before NFTs. This is 2015. Yeah. When the NFTs did hit, though, were you like, yes, we've been, <laughs> this is what we've been thinking about for years? Exactly. But at the same time, at least initially, a lot of the use cases for NFT were more artistic, I would say. And whereas this was more of a player rights type, you know, actual ownership of actual in-game assets. I think when it's come to blockchain gaming in general, there's still a ways to go there. But a lot of the ideas make a lot of sense. So just wait till we get the, uh, you know, the killer app or the killer game that allows for much larger adoption of the concept. So Prometheum was founded in September 2017. The company's genesis is around the time I got into the crypto space as well. Very curious if there's any overlap between the insane ICO boom that was happening and then you guys doubling down and saying, okay, it's time to start something that can operate within the confines of what the SEC says. So if we look at it historically, I think ICO boom peaks in 2018. The Dow report is the first time, is the, like the first time the SEC comments on digital assets and basically say that the intermediaries and the actions and those involved can and likely did implicate the federal securities laws and then had to be compliant with it. So it was always our belief that the federal securities laws were the best way to regulate digital assets. And when the SEC came out and actually said that, you know, more abstractly in the Dow report in July 2017, that's when we decided, okay, this is the indication we need to really start the company and move forward with the idea of, you know, building this trading and custodial infrastructure. Before we dig more into that, why did you guys go with the name Prometheum? It's sort of interesting. So at the time, Prometheus was the god who gave man fire. And the idea was Prometheum would be uh, the company that gives people compliant digital assets. There was also a bit of a nod to Ethereum there, as you know, they are the old G when it comes to a lot of this stuff. And then also Promethean, I think, means to be excessively creative. It has another cool meaning to that as well. So it all fit. But, you know, it just and it flowed. So we stuck with it. (laughs) You guys have a background in being Wall Street lawyers. So I've recently had some insurance entities on the show. And when I talk to them about the conferences they go to, when they go to crypto conferences, they're the suits. Nobody really feels like they really like fit in there. But when they go to insurance conferences, these projects are kind of like, the weird, cutting-edge, innovative industry, and this conservative, long-standing industry doesn't know what to make of them. So do you feel, with your background as a Wall Street lawyer and what you guys are doing at Prometheum, do you also feel that you're walking in two different worlds and don't really fit in one or the other? Not so much. Maybe initially we felt a little bit more like that. You know, When I was explaining to people in uh, 2015 that the ETH ICO was a security, and they're like, no, it's not. We got a letter from a law firm. I was like, okay. But uh, but essentially, you know, <laughs> you're in a situation where you're like, am I the adult in the room, even though like I'm not, you know, the <laughs> oldest person in the room? So since then, I think that the paradigm has consistently moved towards people understanding that digital assets are just regulated financial instruments. Yeah. Particularly in the post FTX era, when people actually understood that, you know, investors can and will get harmed if there aren't the right protections in place. People understand that now. And there's also regulatory implications on one, on the trading side, people, sort of institutions, particularly legacy financial institutions, if they want to participate in the space, want to participate in a market that's fair and orderly, where they could actually like believe in the integrity of the trading. And beyond that, there's on the custody side, one, we have the pros change to the custody rules such that crypto assets held by an advisor have to be held at a qualified custodian which basically is a bank or a broker dealer, in this case, a special purpose broker dealer. So that's a major shift there as well, where these large institutions, even if they participate in the space or if they want to come into the space, they have a fiduciary duty to basically their clients and they have to be compliant. So having these components that allow for sort of the market integrity and the compliance and the protections and segregation and you know the actual protection and separation of customer funds and assets from that of the institution, I think allows the traditional financial space to feel more comfortable and allows them to understand it better and sort of jive with it better. Because a lot of the time when you had 
financial institutions trying to get into the space, it's sort of apples and oranges from a compliance standpoint, because they come from a securities or banking world, and then they're dealing with crypto. It doesn't compute. But now you have a securities world going into a securities world where everything's licensed under the securities laws. So I think it eliminates a lot of sort of that feeling of potential regulatory risk or you know compliance issues. And we'll see it hopefully lead to the next wave of institutional adoption. There's a lot I want to dig into there. And I have a lot of questions primed up to expand on some of what you said. But there's an interesting key theme that you've brought up a few times. And you were talking about being not the oldest person in the room. One of the fun things about the Smart Economy podcast I really like to hammer home on is that these distributed networks and the advent of the internet, these are changing the way in which that people work and interact within the world. So do you find that as you become more of an expert in the crypto space that now age isn't necessarily a thing anymore because anybody can become a subject matter expert in this nascent field with just six months of putting their head down? I would contest that statement. I would say that, what is it, Kurzweil, who says you need to do something for 10,000 hours to be an expert? I think there's a larger issue in society where people say, oh, I'm an expert. And I think that was a lot of the problem we saw with Sam Bankman-Fried. I used to think to myself, how is this guy who's doesn't come from a securities universe, doesn't really come from a, you work at Jane Street for a while, but you don't come from like a super deep market infrastructure background. How are you building out these products? How are you understanding it? How are you integrating it? Now, in theory, you could just be like the wonder kid. You could be the mega brain, but the overwhelming majority of times you're not. You're just another human being and you have to put in the time and effort and get the experience, obtain the knowledge in order to be an expert in any field. People can learn a lot quickly because not as many people have 20, 30 years, not anyone has 20, 30 years of experience in this field. You still have to put in the time and the effort. If you want to get into this space, you know, go read the Ethereum Homestead doc and start from there and like play it out from there. And then start reading the white papers, understand it. And like, you know, anyone could buy and sell and trade. But when people understand like the validity and the actual innovation and the benefits of distributed architectures and potentially how that implicates different regulatory, you know, frameworks, that's a much more complicated task. Gosh, I'm having a hard time sticking with one subject matter because you bring up a lot of interesting points. So I guess Prometheum started in 2017, and it seems like just now in 2023, the ball is really starting to roll. The platform is going to launch soon. You're onboarding new institutional clients. You're providing incentives for new institutional clients. But it took six years. So when you first started Prometheum, did you expect that the process to do this in a regulatory compliant manner would take six years? Or what were your thought processes when you first started the company? How long did you think it would take to get to this point? (laughs) (laughs) There's a cliche when you... uh... When you go to war, it'll be three times as long and 10 times as, as expensive as you anticipate. Now, I don't consider this obviously like people use military analogies, and I don't think it's appropriate here. But we were aware that it was a large task, you know, potentially boiling an ocean type concept because it didn't exist before. You had people building systems for trading of crypto, but they weren't compliant with how securities had to be treated, handled, processed, traded, custodies. And sort of the integration of the benefits of blockchains and distributed architectures into market infrastructure was a task in itself. And then also we were a little bit, I don't know if it's ahead, but we were basically maybe a little bit ahead of where regulation was at the time. But what we did was understand how things were playing out and basically were able to leverage that time to optimize and build the best products and to see how regulation was going and to really focus on getting to the point we're at now. For the first few years, were you primarily just kind of working with the SEC within the confines or did you already have developers and you were starting to slowly build out the platform? No, yeah, we had developers. It's a pretty engineering heavy company because, you know, you're building a lot of different parts of market infrastructure. You're building your own custodial technology, like, you know, everything you were developed ourselves. So we continuously grew our engineer base as time went on, but it was always a focused effort in building out the tech because it's a heavy lift. Yeah, totally. So I guess 
maybe this is the appropriate time. Can you just kind of explain like I'm five, what the whole umbrella of the Prometheum suite is? There's Prometheum Inc., then there's Prometheum ATS. So could you just kind of describe all the gears that are kind of working on the inside? Sure. So Prometheum, the parent, builds the technology used by its subsidiaries, Prometheum ATS and Prometheum Capital. Prometheum ATS is a broker-dealer licensed to publicly trade digital asset securities under the securities laws. That sounds redundant. (laughs) And then Prometheum Capital is the first special purpose broker-dealer licensed to custody digital assets under the securities laws and arguably the first qualified custodian that could compliantly custody digital asset securities in the United States under the securities laws. The idea for us overall is that you want to service the entire life cycle of a digital asset. And the way to think about it overall is that there's a trading venue where customers, both institutional and retail customers, can trade digital assets. And then those digital asset trades are settled at the custodian, the special purpose broker dealer, where also those assets are custody. So basically a trading venue, a custodial uh, provider on the back end or custodian on the back end. So basically it's a market infrastructure. I'm sure you probably get asked this all the time. What makes Prometheum different than Coinbase? We're compliant. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> that's a cheeky response, but that's also like another avenue that I want to thread. I want to pull on like, how is Prometheum the first entity to do this in the US? And you know, you have Coinbase that's been around since... I don't know, 2011. And they've been trying to kind of work with the SEC. I'm not sure what they've done behind the scenes or whatnot. But, you know, if indeed Prometheum is the first fully regulated custodial service and also trading service, then why isn't Coinbase there? Why aren't other US based entities there? I think a lot of the legacy crypto financial service providers were better served by focusing on revenue generation than focusing on how to achieve compliance with how regulations are were moving. And at a certain point, when you look at it, there's significant issues with a lot of the legacy crypto financial service providers because one, they don't have the proper licenses to conduct those business activities under the securities laws. And two, the way that their tech stack is built, it's not built to handle how securities are processed, traded, custodied. It's not, it doesn't consider the federal securities law implications. So from that perspective, they don't have the proper licenses and their technology is arguably obsolete. So it's such a significant move that they were probably better off drawing from their perspective, possibly. And obviously, I don't know, focusing on drawing the line in the sand, fighting the battle publicly and the like, as opposed to potentially focusing on moving forward with compliance systems and licenses. So it sounds like a bit of a chicken and the egg situation. It's a good way to put this. Obviously, Prometheum took the path that you think is best. But do you think that if we would have had US-based crypto companies waiting for better guidelines, more clear regulation, whatnot, folks weren't trying to move fast and break things, do you think that we would see more levels of adoption, less levels of adoption. Do you think it was necessary for like the US-based exchanges to do what they did so that we have a fighting chance for the crypto industry to kind of shine at the end of the day? No, I think that there's always been regulatory clarity. I think that maybe people were aloof moving to obtuse when it came to understanding that the writing was on the wall. <laughs> and beyond that, you know, a lot of the times the people who uh, argue that there's a lack of regulatory clarity are best served by a lack of regulatory clarity. And, you know, like the only people who will win if there was a new federal agency or new legislation to deal with crypto are the crypto financial service providers, the existing ones. And at the same time, while, you know, Congress hammers it out and creates a new agency and sets it up, and now we're half a decade or a decade later, like the people who end up holding the bag are the investors that aren't properly protected, whose assets aren't properly custodied, who don't have fair and orderly markets through which to trade. So what's best for the investor is the application of the federal securities laws. And even Chairman Gensler said, and he, yeah, I agree with this point totally, in regards to when he testified in front of the House Financial Services Committee, that his clients are the U.S. investors. The people he's responsible to aren't the financial service providers. 
They're the individuals who are putting their hard-earned dollars at risk. Now, people can make or lose money in the market. That's up to them. But it should be as a result of their own decisions, their own investment decisions, not because they uh, kept their assets at a crypto custodian that goes belly up and all of a sudden they're a general creditor. That's fair insight. So who are the clients that Prometheum is going to be serving then? Are you going to be serving institutional clients? Or are you going to be serving retail clients? Who's kind of the scope? The idea is to build a thriving public market, and that requires being able to service both the institutional and the retail sides. On the custodial side, we're licensed to custody for both retail and institutions. And on the trading side, on the ATS side, Prometheum ATS is licensed to publicly trade digital assets. Obviously, to build a thriving public market, you have to ha- build up both those sides. You have to have the institutional and retail sides that come together. So we've focused our efforts on that significantly. And you know, if you follow what the statements are coming out of the SEC and you know, coming from regulators, essentially, if the overall majority of digital assets are securities, they must be traded and treated and custodied under the federal securities laws, then essentially the current trading custodial activity in the crypto space has to migrate to securities compliant ecosystems. And we're one of the few, if not the only game in town for that. Are you guys like launching the exchange soon? Are you onboarding new clients right now? Are you quietly servicing institutional clients? What does that kind of growth or trajectory look like? We just received the special purpose broker dealer license. So that's a significant step forward for us because while you might be licensed as an ATS until you have a custodian that can do retail and institutional custody. The ATS really isn't empowered. So hopefully in the, uh, in the coming months, we'll move forward with uh, launching and basically doing both on the custody and on the trading side. And hopefully uh, this will be seen as really a, the approval and us moving forward as a business can be seen by the entire industry as that there's a way forward in the United States for crypto. You hear people make the arguments, oh, we're going to leave the United States. Really? What percentage of your revenue is generated in the United States? How are you going to leave? <laughs> so like, and then beyond that, like the only people who are leaving are the ones who have to basically, you know, hopefully get out in their perspective by the skin of their teeth. So they, but they're still looking over their shoulder for the regulator. <laughs> so like, I don't see that. I see this as a clear indication that there's a path forward for compliant crypto in the United States. I think beforehand, people could have said, oh, there's a path forward, but no one's approved. But now that Prometheum Capital is approved as a special purpose broker-dealer, there's a path forward for compliant custody, which will lead to more to basically compliant trading of digital assets all under the securities laws, and basically uh, finally provide a solution that allows for the full and fair disclosure, the, the investor protections, the fair and orderly markets, the proper segregation of customer funds, basically the protections that are required under the securities laws. You bring up uh, a topic that I wanted to discuss also. This year, I've been to ETH Denver. I also went to Consensus. And a major theme is that there is this exodus of companies leaving the States. Your thesis is that you know if you really wanted to stick it out and fight here where your client base is, you probably would. Do you think that maybe the narrative going on right now that there's a mass exodus of crypto companies in the US, do you think that just might be propagated by the fact that there's a small pond of companies in the US and that if any number leaves, it's just going to be, statistically speaking, a higher percentage because there just aren't that many? I don't think that's true. I think that where is innovation in crypto? Innovation isn't on the financial service provider side. Innovation's on the project side. Innovation's using distributed architectures and blockchains for what they're used for to basically build applications that move society forward or help society. That's where innovation occurs. The innovation isn't like you built a trading platform. You're not even compliant. Like that's not innovation. Like was the innovation with FTX or was it just a forum by which people could trade in custody and do certain digital asset activities? The innovation is with the projects. So like, I think you're seeing more and more engineers understand distributed architectures, understand the benefits of all these, you know, different blockchain sort of technologies and concepts there. And it'll just be integrated in different projects going forward. It'll be just another tool that engineers use when building different applications. And that makes sense. I want to ask if you think that the folks that are leaving might have dubious intent, or maybe they just don't want to cross all their T's and dot all their I's. I'm not sure if you you want to answer that or not. I would say, uh, have you read the uh, 
SEC's complaint against XRP. <laughs> Obviously, for a long time in the space, particularly right after or right around the ICO boom, there was a lot of nefarious activity and not even necessarily nefarious people raising capital at valuations or issuing assets in like unregulated or pseudo regulated manners. And now they're complaining when, you know, when those, uh, what's the saying, the chickens come to roost. And so like, I think it's all part of a natural process. I think a lot of the stuff with like in a lot of these statements, oh, innovation is leaving the United States, like all the concepts like that are really just self-serving for the people who are making them. And, you know, when you're fighting against the regulator in the court of public opinion, I don't know if you're winning the battle. How does it feel to finally have your special purpose broker dealer license? to have fought the good fight, to get your company to a place where it's regulatory compliant. Do you feel justified? Do you feel smug? Or are you like ready to hit the ground running? Obviously, it feels good. It was a lot of effort. People thought we were crazy in the beginning. I would bring up the securities laws and like, what is this guy even talking about? Why is this even relevant? You know, like, look at you like a three heads. But on the other side of that, I could also say like, you know, we were in the room like when they were, obviously we weren't part of the project, but you know, when you could have bought Ethan, the ICO for 19 cents a pop. At the time, I thought it was a security. <laughs> like, who's right? I don't think it matters in that sense. Those guys did really well. They built awesome projects and awesome, awesome product, et cetera. But at the same time, like, it's validating there, but also you missed opportunities because you, you believed in regulation from the first place. It's okay, I think, altogether because you, uh, you get to maintain your belief in the system, that the system works and that over time, everything will work its way out. And like I think Churchill says, uh, the U.S. will get it right after making all the wrong decisions. <laughs> what kind of like inspired you or, or like uh, is your passion for the legal fields? Because it sounds like you've really been sticking to these beliefs for a long time. So was there something that drew you to get into the legal field to begin with? My father's a securities attorney. It was his law firm, Gus Ray Kaplan, which incubated Promethium and basically securities regulations. So like securities law, just to clarify, because like, I think people sort of, it's a bit of a nebulous concept. So you have the corporate transactional side, and that's one element. And then you have more broker-dealer, market infrastructure, clearing firm-related sort of molecular securities activity. And that was the side that the firm has particular expertise at and that I've always been more interested in. So understanding, there's a book that I've tried to read a thousand times and I have failed miserably, but it's called After the Trade is Made. And like basically talk about dense reading, but it basically explains the molecular components of what happens exactly that after a trade is made, you know, from clearance, settlement to settlement finality and everything else and the process that occurs. And I think that's very interesting, particularly because most people just, why would they care? You want to be able to go use a front end trading system. You want to sign in, you want to have your trade made, you want to make sure that your funds are where they are and they're properly protected, et cetera. But you don't really want to focus on how the sausage is made. That was always an opportunity, I think, because when you do care about that and you're not just necessarily on the legal side, but you are sort of entrepreneurial, you can sort of integrate that knowledge, that sort of that expertise into the product itself and sort of innovate on that front. I see a lot of parallels with like when we talk about mass adoption of cryptocurrencies with your kind of innate understanding of just basically how securities and markets work. Nobody really cares what consensus mechanism is going to be operating the chain with the internet. Nobody cares what TCP IP is when you're using it. You just want to use it. And we want to know that it'll do the thing that we want it to do. So when Prometheum launches, what are the assets that are going to be offered? Is it going to be Bitcoin, Ethereum, real world assets, digital assets? What are you guys looking at listing first? We haven't announced anything yet, but what I would say is that Chairman Gensler has indicated that many, if not all digital assets besides for Bitcoin are securities and Prometheum takes the same view. And uh, we intend and would like to be able to support all digital assets that are securities. <laughs> wow. So it sounds like uh, everything. <laughs> Let's look at it more abstractly from a regulatory standpoint here. So like what happened from a regulation, like for the SEC standpoint is that, and obviously I don't know this, this is just my estimate, is that when they started going after the different elements of crypto, they went after the most risky slash that could cause the most systemic risk or contagion components. And then they started ring fence it from there. So what does that mean? First, you have lending, which was like, what was lending? I mean, that was a lot of it was Ponzi stuff, right? <laughs> so like, once you have lending, okay, 
Then they go staking. Then basically from there, you have a discussion of custody. And then after that, the next part's going to be the crypto exchanges. And we know that in the past uh, you know, month or two, there's been notices that were received by, there was a Wells notice received by Coinbase and Binance received some letters from the CFTC. And I think that this has all been a part to sort of bring all these activities under securities regulations, starting with the riskiest components and then moving to the parts that were the, you know, the highest fruit on the tree, meaning the opposite of the lowest hanging fruit. And we've seen that process occur. And this is all part of a systemic sort of, I think, calculated process of transitioning crypto financial services activities to one to an ecosystem that's regulated under the federal securities laws. And sort of that's what we've seen here. I actually appreciate your perspective because when I'm on crypto Twitter, it's all doom and gloom. Gary Gensler's the enemy. None of this makes sense. He just wants to come after crypto. And the way you just broke down what the different enforcement actions are, I can understand now kind of a perspective that the SEC might be taking when it comes to this. They want to have these enforcements in these specific areas so that they can create guidelines and have basically legal processes where these have gone through the courts. So I guess you've answered this a little bit in your previous response, but are you as negative as about the outlook of crypto in the US as like your average anon on crypto Twitter? <laughs> no, I think that people are say, oh, the UK or EU is leading when it comes to crypto regulation. Like, did anyone actually read Micah? Like, okay, so they basically voted on it or passed it, but it's not implemented. It doesn't go into effect until July 24. So like basically what? There's 15 months from now before it even goes into effect. They're already talking about MICA too. Like nonsense, nonsense. The US is going to lead the way in crypto regulation. And I think the Prometheum's approval as a special purpose broker dealer is, Promethean Capital, I should say, approval as a special purpose broker dealer is a major step in that direction. Essentially, there is now a compliant way to custody digital assets under the federal securities laws. That's a major step forward. The next step was there's a compliant way to trade digital assets under the federal securities or, or trade crypto, everything X Bitcoin. And I think that will be the framework moving forward by how other nations look to regulate their digital assets. Again, it's such a fallacy. It's not even a fallacy. It's a farce for people who think that digital assets aren't regulated financial instruments. How can you not see that? <laughs> so, like, so like, if we accept that is true, and there's a framework which was tried and tested over 90 years, which we know is meant to protect investors, to make sure markets have integrity and to make sure customers' funds and securities are properly segregated and custodied. It'll just be the implementation that as a path forward. And the doom and gloom, maybe you could have said it before Promethean Capital was approved as a special purpose broker dealer because there was a framework. It just there wasn't anyone approved under that framework. But now that now that Promethean Capital is approved under that framework, there is a path. The U.S. will maintain its position as a lead, as the leader in global markets, and any sort of argument related to you know you know the U.S. crypto situation being horrible is moot now. So maybe to help me kind of just like grasp it as a from a non legal perspective, let's just say I want to start a crypto company in the U.S. and I do want to register with the SEC. Does this? position Prometheum as like the marketplace where I can launch my token, essentially? So that's what I was going to ask. So what does your crypto company do? It doesn't matter. But like, are you trying to issue an investment contract and raise money by issuing a token? Like, that's the big thing there. And I would say you, in that sense, if you think about issuance, like what's issuance? You have to choose the proper regulation by which to issue that security, meaning you have to go for a registration or exemption. You can go get a go full registration, or you can go a Reg A plus. You can do a five hundred six C, you know, a Reg D exempt if you're not doing it publicly, etc. Next is okay. You basically deploy that smart contract to issue the asset. Now, like there's obviously compliance considerations there, but if you've done those two components, then it becomes a question of finding a form by which you can trade that asset, which would be in theory on Prometheum ATS. And where you could actually custody that asset because you need to be able to custody the asset before you could trade it. And that, in theory, would be at Prometheum Capital. So it does provide a pathway there in terms of like any sort of crypto company looking to issue a token. That's more about finding the proper regulation by which to issue it under or an exemption and, you know, finding the proper access to capital by which to raise that. So now that Prometheum has broken the proverbial four minute mile or five minute mile, whatever it is 
Do you think the floodgates are open in the U.S. for more types of entities like Prometheums? I know that you guys still have to launch and you just obtained the special purpose broker dealer license. So there's still some balls that need to get started rolling. But based off of the work that you guys have done, how do you see that this is going to cut down on future U.S.-based exchanges launching here? I think that we're in a situation where the development of a national market system for crypto or digital assets will occur just like it did for equities. There was a mentality and comedy at one point is when it was just the Tonight Show that if someone else had that spot, you know, then therefore you didn't have it. So it's a famine mentality. Whereas I think what's going to happen here is as more entities are approved, both on the trading and the custody side, the pie will continue to grow. And it'll be like comedy is now where like comedians go on each other's podcasts and they basically leverage each other to basically create a network effect. So I think that's what will happen here. And the pie will continue to grow and larger people will get involved. And, you know, there'll be a lot of activity in the space. And then what we'll see is, you know, a development of a national market system for digital assets as it is with equities. I kind of want to zoom out a little bit and talk about some of the bigger picture things that you've brought up already. FTX, namely, arguably a lot of US citizens didn't get that harmed by FTX because they weren't allowed to use the platform. So what did FTX's spectacular collapse do in terms of interest from the institutional level conversations you're having? Were they spooked or did they take a step back? Did they realize that SBF was a fraud? What did that sort of look like? We were very always diametrically opposed to you know that FTX universe because we were very regulation pro. And we regulation under the securities laws. And even when entities like FTX, you know, said, oh, we're, they're about regulation. Like basically they were trying to do it under, uh, what was that commodities bill they were trying to pass or something. And like, it, we just never encountered, you know, there wasn't a crossover there. So essentially we didn't have any indication as to what people thought of the specifics about, you know, any sort of dumpster fire that was going on there. I would think that a lot of people were in one of these like aha moments after, not aha, like thinking to themselves, how did I miss this? You know, like when someone's wearing shorts in a meeting or playing video games or like can't accept how to like just be a decent human being in terms of when you're dealing with people, that's usually a red flag. And beyond that, in terms of what institutions felt as a result, there was a lot of, I'd say, you know, a, a glass box of emotions in that some institutions that all of a sudden, like they're very pro-regulation, but they're more, and so like they believe in what you're doing, but more than they're also spooked about the entire industry. So like there's a positive component, obviously people got hurt, so there's no positivity in that, but like there was a both movement to be more pro about what we were doing, but also just a larger trend where people took a step back to be like, hey, what's going on in the industry as a whole? And again, if you look at the industry, all of the debacles really occurred with the financial service providers. The only project that you could say maybe was the one that like was a sort of crossover between a technology innovation and financial service provider was Lunaterra. But like, if you read the uh, articles about the class action lawsuit going on there against certain trading firms, essentially like there was no innovation there, it was just manipulation. <laughs> so like, that's just a scam. But no, I think we're at the point now where like institutions have come full circle and they understand that the industry is here to stay and they want to be involved and they want to give their clients compliant access to crypto assets. So we have been very pleased with the uh, engagement and reception we've been getting recently. You were talking about red flags and you understand how the sausage is made. So what was it like personally when you're seeing SBF going to Congress and he's getting winks from Congress members after he leaves and you're sitting here saying this doesn't smell right? What was that like for you when you're watching SBF kind of parading on the national spotlight and seemingly before the collapse, he was kind of like the golden child that was going to bring crypto to the mainstream. Was that infuriating? Were you like, this doesn't smell right? We keep the head down. Like, what was that like for you? Just keep the head down. For so long, people thought we were just coming out of left field, that this was just more of the status quo. So, you know, you just keep working and keep moving forward. If you followed regulation and actually read what the government was putting out in the different elements, like, you know, from the SEC and like follow the court cases and the like and the enforcement actions, it was pretty clear 
that the securities laws were going to win the day. Like, again, when the Dow report comes out in July 2017, the industry's put on notice. When you, you see, I, I believe it was uh, Coinbase put in an argument that essentially, oh, like the government didn't tell us that regulation applied. That's not true. That's not true. They came out and said it specifically. And that's also not how regulation works. It's like, oh, you didn't tell me I couldn't murder that person. Like, it's just, it's just nonsense. <laughs> so the writing was always on the wall. And for us, it was just more about keeping our head down, moving forward, you know, making sure to comply with the regulations as constructed and uh, basically uh, provide the ecosystem where all that business could compliantly move to such that you have actual proper trading and custody of digital assets. You guys are based out of New York. So have you also collaborated with any of like the local regulators in the state? Because from my understanding, New York was really the only state that came out with any sort of regulation for crypto services back in 2014 or whatever. The dreaded bit license. Yeah. (laughs) It would be very interesting to do an examination Obviously, I'm not going to do this, but it's a, it's an interesting concept to determine whether New Yorkers were more or less or possibly the same degree injured in the debacles of 2022 as other states. Because if they were more protected, then that regulation worked. And if they were not less protected or the same, then that didn't work because from a business standpoint, it made it difficult for certain companies to have operations and locations in New York. And it deterred people from being in New York, which from a, it could be good if it protected investors, but it could also be detrimental if it prevents good companies from wanting to have operations and be located in the state. That's fair. A kind of like theme I've noticed over the years is that some blockchain projects will say, we're going to be a regulatory compliant blockchain. Now, from like a technology perspective, from like a base public layer one blockchain network, what does that look like? Does that even mean anything to be a regulatory compliant chain? It's literally like saying we're democratizing finance. Like, you know, like like what they did was they democratized the scam and used the Internet under the guise of like innovation and crypto to basically, you know, fleece a lot of uh, basically regular retail investors, mom and pops. I don't know what that means. Essentially, like from a blockchain is a means of transferring and processing data. So like, what does it mean that you're going to be a regulatory compliant blockchain? And which regulations are you going to be compliant with? And what jurisdictions regulations? Like maybe some branding person was like, oh, this sounds good. But, but I don't think that means much. Right on. So now we have Prometheum offering the ability to provide trading services and the necessary custody services. So how far are we from a future where pensions have Bitcoin and Ethereum and other digital assets comprising a large portion of... Or not a large portion, but just a portion of their balance sheet? How far are we from having more kind of institutional adoption in that way? I think that we will see a uptick in institutional adoption as Prometheum through the trading, Prometheum ATS and Prometheum Capital go live. As you'll have a sort of a bridge where financial institutions can feel that they are not exposed from a compliance or regulatory standpoint and they can properly participate in the space. Beyond that, you know, there's potential opportunities now that you'll have a market where you actually could determine that has a fair and orderly market that has integrity where you can actually determine the price of these underlying assets. Because I think that's a major argument as to why the SEC would not approve a Bitcoin ETF or a, you know or Ethereum ETF. So in theory, it could help in that front as well. And you'll see potentially the bridge that I referenced before helping sort of lead to that institutional adoption and also provide the methodology by which these, you know, these asset managers, these, you know, the Franklin Templetons of the world, the pension funds of the world can basically participate in the space and feel comfortable. So I think that'll be a major step. And I think that there'll be also more products that will be able to give people access through different means, meaning like specifically an ETF or or other stuff like that. And I really think that this is the beginning of this major transition away from sort of wild west crypto days to crypto financial services ecosystems regulated under the securities laws. 
Yeah, that would be huge if Prometheum was used for determining the spot price for Bitcoin, because then that's the basis for the ETF and all these other financial products that you're talking about. So are we getting there? Is Without kind of propping yourself up too much and patting yourself too much on the back, is what Prometheum is going to offer ultimately the first step towards the approval of the financialization of digital assets and integration into institutions and traditional financial institutions? Obviously, we have a long way to go, but I think it's a significant milestone in the maturity or the maturation of the industry on the financial services side. And I think that is super important because one of the big issues was that retail investors, justifiably so, lost confidence in the space. And that was because of all the shenanigans that went on, the sort of you know, these absurd business practices, lack of risk management, like things that you would just would not fly anywhere. <laughs> and what the industry needs or, or has been working on since then is reestablishing that confidence. And the best way to do that is to have a compliant ecosystem for trading and custody of digital assets under the securities laws that are tried and tested, protect investors, you know, ensure fair and early markets, basically have rules as to how you actually have to custody and segregate customer assets from that of the institution. Basically, all these concepts that have always made sense, always applied from the beginning. It's just the industry argued that uh, it was innovation. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the SEC is a bogeyman because you have this incendiary figure in Gary Gensler who is arguably poking back at the crypto community. Remove Gary from the equation. Would the SEC still have been kind of taking these actions and taking these steps regardless as an entity without necessarily like somebody at the forefront kind of like poking and laughing? Were these processes that were already rolling before Gary was in office? Oh, yeah. I mean, before Chairman Gensler, you had Chairman Clayton and he put out the special purpose broker dealer release in, I believe it's December 2020. There was also the three step release when it came to trading. There was a lot of comments, like comments that came out of the SEC from a long time ago. I remember, and this is like sometime 2016, 2017, where they're talking about tokens versus uh, washing machine coins, right? And then there was a reference because people don't speculate on their laundromat coins. They speculate on these tokens and that's why they're securities. There was clear indications for a long time. If you followed the SEC statements and like you actually were on top of it as opposed to believing what you wanted to, there was clear, clear indication and communication and continuous evolution of this whole fact and concept that digital assets are likely securities and regulated under the securities laws. Cool. Well, kind of wrapping up, I know that you probably can't answer this, but I'm going to ask anyways. Do you have like some big brand names that are going to be splashy names when the exchange launches? that you've already kind of identified as partners or any institutions that are going to be proudly trading on Prometheum? Uh, we've been very uh, pleased and, and feel very positive when it comes to the engagement that we've received from the trading and the financial community. I also think that the crypto community understands that the overwhelming majority of digital assets are securities and there needs to be ecosystems like Prometheum is building in order for it to move forward. So. I think that it'll be a positive thing for us. Are there any incentives for onboarding institutional clients that if any of our listeners are institutional clients and they're interested in speaking with you, are there any incentives for them? Yeah, there's a liquidity provider program. There's other incentives that obviously uh, could be discussed more offline. What's the best way to get in contact with you, to keep up with you, to keep up with Prometheum? I would say uh, check out our LinkedIn. I'm not the biggest personal Twitter person, uh, but um, check out our LinkedIn and uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, really deliver on everything we've been trying to do for a long time and basically provide an ecosystem where, where the, the real winner is the investor who actually gets to be protected, who gets to make their own investment decisions and doesn't have their firm trading against their orders and uh, you know basically does everything that you would anticipate occurring in a proper financial ecosystem. Aaron, thank you so much for spending an hour with us. It's got to be very busy days over where you're at right now. Prior to this conversation, I didn't necessarily grasp the importance of the special purpose broker-dealer license and what this represents for Prometheum. And for just general 
crypto companies moving forward in the US. Amongst a lot of doom and gloom right now, the conversation we just had uh, is a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. So I really appreciate you breaking down what you guys are working on, helping me better understand the importance of what you guys have been working on for the past six years. And I'm really excited to see the floodgates opening and kind of what this is going to represent in the years moving forward. It sounds like you guys were the first ones to open the door. So I can't wait to see five years from now how the spaces change in a positive way. Thank you for the opportunity, Dylan, and uh, I appreciate your time. Cheers. Have a good one. What did you think of that conversation? There was a point where I was reminded of the scene in Zoolander when Mugatu freaks out and shouts at the top of his lungs about how he feels like he's taking crazy pills because no one notices that Zoolander's looks are all the same. Aaron has been calling digital assets security since the ETH ICO and started the long and winding process of building a compliant exchange nearly six years ago. Sometimes I wonder if he felt like he was taking crazy pills. It was interesting to hear Aaron's perspective on how the SEC might be going about transitioning crypto into existing securities laws by breaking down the type of SEC enforcements over the past few years. He noted that the SEC first went after lending, then staking, and then custody, and what he thinks might be the next segment of the crypto space that the SEC goes after, which will be exchanges. Lastly, I think it'll be really interesting to see which coins Prometheum lists once the platform goes live, especially since they plan to list everything that is a security and the SEC currently states that everything but Bitcoin is a security. Suffice to say, I think I'm a little excited to see what the first regulatory compliant exchange in the US can do for the narrative for crypto here in the States moving forward. And it's something I certainly look forward to keeping up with. On that note, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Smart Economy podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support the show, please keep NEO News Today in mind when voting for your NEO Council representative as part of NEO's governance process. We appreciate you and look forward to catching you next time.